happy new year because they, they've let me out onto the radio again my name is ed fortune and you're listening to fabradiointernational.com and you're listening to the bookworm it's just me and i'm here with producer al he's here to make sure i don't do anything terribly naughty maybe some things that are mildly naughty but nothing terribly naughty so um the book i am reviewing is, is the Silver Tide Ooh. by Jen Williams? <gasps> oh. um, a cracking read, a force to be reckoned with in the fantasy genre, says Starburst magazine. And and they're very rarely long, they're very very rarely wrong, aren't they? Adrian Tchaikovsky says a fast-paced and original new voice in heroic fantasy. Uh, Sci-Fi Now, whoever they are, said it's absolutely stuffed with ghoulish action. There, there is a there is never a dull page, and um, something called SFX is a fresh yeah, take on classic tropes. Uh, the Independent highly recommends it. So you know that's and that's proper 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 publishing. That is what the Independent. Yeah, yeah. You mean Starburst magazine, surely? So yeah, we'll be reviewing that shortly. Uh, we've got lots of book news coming up. Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest running magazine of sci fi horror and fantasy. Get the latest news, features, interviews, and reviews from your favorite genre. Available from a newsagent near you or download to your iPad today. So, um, uh, on to the book news. Um, so, you, you may have missed this, but there's a whole bunch of new elements that have been confirmed to go on the official list of elements. Is this science news? Is this science news? We're right. going to get to the book bit in a moment. So, they've identified some new elements um, to add to that Tom Lever song uh, about the elements. Is that uh, Tom Lever song? Or Kit the Widow, one or the other. Uh, I know the one you mean. Anyway, that's all. It's in... Ensis, they use it in Ensis. Did they really? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that song <laughs> with, with lots of not developments. Um, more songs to add, to, uh, more elements to add to that, and obviously they need to be named. Um, there is a campaign to get new element one one seven named Octarine after Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Uh, the petition is to name the element one one seven. They would be um, it's. They're, they're petitioning the International Union of Applied Chemistry. Um, the proposed symbol would be OC, pronounced OOK. Uh, if you if you get that, it's the librarian reference, obviously. Uh, Discworld series, of course, is a Discworld series. He he died. Terry Fletcher died last year. Um, the series uh, series sold more than seventy million books worldwide. Goodness me! Um, and he also did the science of the Discworld books. Now, the rules say that Octarine would count as a mythological concept. Octarine uh, is... Oct- what? Oct- I thought they'd found it. Octarine is... Oh, in the Discworld, yes. Oh, okay. In the di- Discworld, it's a magical... Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magical sub- substance that is the, the source of magic. It's the colour of magic. Oh, it's the eighth okay. colour of magic. Oh, I see what you did there. So, uh, in the, the colour of magic, Octarine, and they've, they've said, right, okay, let's call this element Octarine. Are you allowed to call um, elements? There's a limit, limit to what you can call um, elements. 
and it's a mythological concept or character a mineral or similar substance a place of of or geographical region a property of, of the element or a scientist so it's either got to be something out of a story um something out of a real world place mm. a real world scientist mm. or something that describes the element itself okay. so, you, so, so, ten- so they get there on the mythological thing yeah so technically speaking you could call something explodium because it explodes <laughs> Um, yeah, or stevium because it's named after Steve. Steve. Um, and you could technically speaking call this. You see, Terry Pratchett wasn't a scientist, so you can call it Pratchettium. Right. But you can call it Octarine because it's named after named after something that he wrote about. It's a made up yep. thing, and it fits um, because this particular element is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> um, oh, that, yeah, this is sounding more and more like like something thing. Um, they there's also a campaign to try and get because uh, Lemmy from Waterhead died recently as well, and we're, we're a book show, not a music show, but you know, let's mention it briefly. There's a campaign to get one of the heavier metal elements. See what they've done there, uh, named after Lemmy. Unfortunately, he doesn't fit. No, any yeah, of the that rules. sounds like he would he would fail on the on the thing on the criteria. They're arguing. The fans are arguing that he's a mythological element. <laughs> what? <laughs> the man's a legend, <laughs> <laughs> which may very well be true. But <laughs> so uh, uh, you know, top marks for 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 goal. Um, uh, but yes, I, I think probably it, the the you know might go out to Pratchett. We hope so. Uh, you can find it on Change.org where you have to hand over some uh, you know your email address personal and data. some personal data. And isn't Change.org one that petitions the UK government? Government. Yeah. So why are we petitioning the UK government as well, opposed to the, the no, science you're, you're community thinking, You're thinking number 10. Number 10 petitions to the UK government. Change.org is simply a petition gathering service. Ah, uh, okay. It you does, can see my confusion because there's that flipping menu of them these days. It does petition the UK government, but it petitions everything it can find. Uh, um, Google Translate... I had an interesting error recently <laughs> in the sense that it kept translating the word Russia to Mordor. Um, you know you can get directions? Is it directions to Mordor? You can get directions to Mordor. On, on Google Maps, because that's a place in the Netherlands or something. Yeah. Unlikely. It, 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 it does advise you that you that one does not walk to Mordor. <laughs> You go after a certain distance, or used to anyway. Um, Google has fixed a bug on its online tool after it began tra- translating Russian Federation to Mordor. Uh, uh, Mordor, of course, is the land of shadows in J.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings books. Uh, oh, in addition, Russians were trans- was translated oh. as occupiers, and the name uh, Sergei Lavrov, who's the current news foreign mi- minister, was translated into a sad little horse. They've updated the Google Maps. We could not find Mordor. No, no and if Google can't find it, then you know. Just ask an eagle; they'll <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll be able to tell you. But uh, why don't they just get the eagles to fly them there? Why? Because it's not a taxi service. Um, also, they would become corrupted by uh, so on. No. Do you really want to know? I can't explain no, it to you at length. No, no, move on. Um, so yeah, basically the the it look the errors have been introduced by uh, to Google's translate service, the Ukrainian Russian service. Automatically, Google said, "Aha, uh-huh. they've changed uh-huh, it yeah, since." Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, it looks like it looks like a, a, a no small degree of Google whacking, shall we say, was going on there. Um, which is silly. I like I like the idea of Google whacking and the fact that you know this all for all this automated cleverness, you still can't quite get it to you know behave itself. Um, 
Emma Watson has just done the most Hermione thing, according to BBC Three. Um, she is setting up a feminist book club. Um, possibly it's going to be called the Emma Watson uh, Book Club. Someone has suggested that it be called the Society for the Promotion of Empowering Women. Spewed. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, no. um, ho, ho, ho. Did we slap that person? Was that person a man? Uh, that person was a woman. Oh. Um, Can we still slap them? Yeah, fair enough. Femini- that's just, that's just yeah. feminism. A book club like Hogwarts history has been one of the other suggestions. Um, fantastic books and where to read them. <laughs> that I like. That I like. Uh, Hermione's army. Um, uh, she's never going to be able to shake that roll loose ever, is she? She's a fantastic actress, and she's done some amazing stuff. But no, uh, we're, we're not. We're not going to let. Her. Thing is, thing is, Hermione. You know, would you want to shake loose the you know hyper intelligent bookworm, bookish hero image? Really? Um, you probably don't want to shake loose the royalties. That's true. I as guess. Well. Um. So yes, she, she is. Um, J.K. Rowling has already been invited to, uh, uh, as has Taylor Swift. The book club <laughs> is quickly shaping up to be the girl gang that everyone. Which wants which to be branch part of Costa is this going to be in? Where I can sit in a book and read a book with Taylor Swift, Emma Watson, and J.K. Rowling? Because I'm there. <laughs> Don't blame me. Goodness me. Um, so yeah, that's just fantastic and fun, and we'll see what because because you do get celebrity book clubs happening, and we we do hope that, that goes somewhere cool. Um, well, the Richard and Judy book club still goes, doesn't it? Yeah. Even though the Richard and Judy TV program, I think, has been dead in the water for s- some considerable time now, the 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 the, the book club is still going, courtesy of, of our friendly book uh, high street retailer W H Smith. Uh, Judge Red the magazine is um, having a sh- dark, dark Judges short story competition. Uh, you can write about any aspect of the gruesome foursome. Um, the, the Dark Judges are Judge Dredd villains. They are, if memory serves, and I'm sure someone will tell me off if I get this wrong, but the four main Dark Judges are Death, Fear, Fire, and is it Pestilence? That's, isn't that the four horsemen of the apocalypse? That's pretty much what they are. Um, it's judge. Is it judge plague or ju- judge pl- pestilence? Ju- judge famine, I think he might be anyway. Judge Ebe, basically. Um, anyway, you, it's a competition. So rather than getting actual money, you get a judge def- judge death badge, courtesy of Planet Replicas. It looks awesome, in fairness. Uh, apparently, judge death, judge fire, judge fear, and judge mortis. Judge mortis, that's it. Judge mortis. He, he's basically all about decay. Later storylines added the sisters of death, phobia, and nausea. Yep, there's a whole bunch of them as well that are later, added later on as well. But uh, phobia and nausea are the the two to look out for. To be quite honest, the thing is, right? Given one of the one of the pictures that illustrates this Wikipedia article is. Is uh, Judge Dread punching somebody and going gate into the fist of Dread? Given yeah. that that's your, your Facebook cover photo, you yeah. could really have known this. I just couldn't remember Mortis's name because I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't um, pestilence, but it was. But it's, it's close. It's, it's close. close. Is uh, is the one with the dead eagle on his shoulder anyway? Um, it's like a skeleton. He touches you and you decompose. There, there appears to be loads of, of additional stuff going on with this as they've developed stuff as well, but I'm, I am not touching that with somebody else's barge pole in, in terms of canon and comics and stuff. No, no IDW did, were allowed to do a whole gang of them. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole, there was a whole gang of them, and spoilers, short version. So yes, they are. They are in addition to the gang of four and the two sisters, they are more sort of. Um, 
ish. Anyway, book news. Um, there's also Judge Dredd, but that's a spoiler for the for a fifteen year old storyline. Yeah. Anyway. Moving on. Um, so uh, there's an open talking about open submission swindle. Um, they're suspended in Dusk Two. Um, Books of the Dead Press are opening two spots for suspended the Dusk anthology in an open submission. Um, if you go on, if basically if you Google Simon Dewar, so that's D E W A R. Um, Is that Dewar, maybe? Dewar, yeah. Sorry, I have an accent. Um, Delta Echo Whiskey Alpha Romeo. Um, there we go, spelling it out for you. Uh, the submissions guidelines on there. It's 25 US dollars uh, off compensation. Oh. So this is where you get your foot in the door mm. if you want to write some horror. Um, Dewar is doing very well for himself, as from what I can understand. And it's a good place to start. Um, slightly sad news. Spectral Press have uh, and uh, ran into some financial problems within the last six months um, and Sam Moss Jones has had lots of support from fellow publishers, friends and family and a discussion with Gary Compton who believes he can help a friend get the press button on his feet um, they have basically they owe um, they owe £8,000 to various debtors um, and they are in the process of trying to sort it out it's all over social media at the moment, um, if you want to dip into that and find out the what's going on, various people have lots of different opinions as to what's happening. Uh, I think we're just going to report that straight as to you know, Spectral Press, who had a reputation for you know delivering horror stories, have have hit some some difficulties. Um, it can you know. If you are a horror short story writer or a horror writer involved in the small press, you probably already know about it. If you didn't know, you expect you're waiting for a special because we were quite expe- excited by some of the stuff that was on there. Which party is also coming out to you? Yeah, uh, ex- we were quite excited by some of the special press stuff that was you know on its way. Mm. So yeah, can we talk about the catfish? Can we talk about the catfish? Please, can we talk about the catfish. Talk about the catfish. <laughs> You should do that because that's your job as presenter. Oh, is this? Yeah. Oh, but I'm just, I'm just I, I've been I've been I read this bit um, of our news thing and it's just the most bizarre thing. Oh, it's okay. So and as 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 our co-host Sai says, you know, fair play to the managing to pull this off <laughs> to, to that level before she got found out. So. It, it, it's a bit weird. This so some, a bit weird. Someone pretended to be a penguin employee and said, "Hi, I'm from Penguin. I'm going to send you some books." And they were like, "Yay!" And then she sent them uh, some some arcs and her own book. Yeah, but it was very cleverly done because she used a slightly different name, ever so slightly different name. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into the. De- you can, you can, you know, find out that the full details are out there on the internet. There, but um, yeah, she basically pretended to be a publicity office of pe- for Penguin, got in touch with all these people, and then. And what she said was, um, "You've you're obviously you know quite well up in the in the book blogging world. Would you like some arcs, advanced reader copies, for doing like one review a month or less?" And pe- people sort of undenied about it, and eventually said yes because she had the email address appeared to be legitimate. Um, and it all sort of snowballed from there. And as you say, what what eventually turned up at people's houses was 
a another arc from Penguin Random House that may or may not have been obtained off eBay. That's still not clear. Uh, and a copy of her own self-published book. Is it self-published? It's. It looks like it was self-published. Yeah, yeah. a small press at least. Um, but it's when you, you. What is slowly coming out is the scale of this. Um, apparently, she'd been onto a Google help form thing saying, um, "My account has reached the limit of how many." Em- emails i can send in a day what do i do and apparently the limit for the number of gmails you can send per day is a thousand so this is like on a massive scale that she was doing this on the one hand it's kind of impressive on the other hand what um (laughs) apparently there's a lot of good read reviews that people are thinking are probably um sock puppets of her of her own book why didn't she just write more books Rather than spending all this... The thing is, this is a thing that's going to go on more and more, is that people are going to catfish, people are going to create sock puppets, people are going to do anything they can. I don't, I don't know if we were discussing this on last week's show, um, or if this is just something I've read, um, but people have kind of been working out how to play the New York Times bestseller yeah. sales figures, and figuring out how it's done. Um, and there was somebody who wrote some sort of business book a few years back, who basically went into some very specific... Um, real world bookstores and bought a certain number of copies from all of these different bookstores and went on Amazon and pre-ordered you know 500 advanced copies or whatever and that shoved it up into the New York Times bestseller list which in and of itself generates people buying books because people will buy stuff and shove it on their shelf and maybe never have any intention of reading it but they just want to own the New York Times bestseller and you can then say New York, number one New York Times bestseller um, yeah, it's, it's this weird self-perpetuating sort of snowball avalanche Thing. Didn't didn't the New York Times, in response to that, basically announce that they were changing uh, changing their rotation because it's a very secret list of where they get yes, their samples yeah. from? If memory but says, apparently, it was relatively easy to figure it out. They, I think they I think they've gotten a, a slightly darker pattern now. Yeah, but apparently, um, you can um, if you know what you're doing, you can wangle the Amazon thing so that you can appear like a hot new release, depending on when you do publicity and 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 blogging and and. Stuff releasing and stuff it was a problem of the um the british pop charts as well back when people cared about the british pop charts um because edwina curry's daughter was involved in like a panorama kind of tv show thing about about this sort of thing and they got her to record some terrible record and then they sent her around with a large wad of cash to the right shops in mm, london mm. to buy you know the apparently the like this time of the year january you can get a number one for about 20 percent of the the single sales as you'd need in december that's how i made and did it back in the day <laughs> um well, that's how the Iron Maiden fans did it, and the Iron Maiden fans are still bitter about the fact that the BBC reported it as, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a cheeky move on behalf of Iron Maiden. And it's like, in fairness, it was a bit of a cheeky move on, on behalf of Iron Maiden, but they were never going, you know, they were never going to get the the exposure that they deserve anyway, despite the fact that they're one of the biggest <laughs> heavy metal bands in the world. So anyway, what's happening with the Penguin employee who may not be an employee? He's catfishing. Uh, the upshot is Penguin Random House's legal department's now involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit of an escalation. This sort of thing is just going to keep going on. Yeah. Um, people people are desperate to get their books out there and, you know, I mean, we get a number of stuff, we get quite a bit of things sent through to us and we ask as well and we're kind of very careful and we're very conscientious about how we do it. But, yeah, we, every time something comes through, 
Yes, of course we check it out. Um, but, but, but it's this thing of she appears to have had a bona fide, or at least a genuinely bona fide looking um, Penguin Random House email address. Which, yeah, I can think of a couple of ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, and she appears to sense about with bona fide letterhead with the arcs. Um which in and of itself should probably alert you because when we get the arcs, that's not quite what they what the accompanying bits of paper look like. No, um, but then you would have to, uh, you know, you'd have to be in a certain place to yeah, know that in yeah, the first place. So. And she's, it looks like she's been very careful where she's targeted as well. She's targeted a certain level of the the book blogger community, mm. which again, in its sense, is unfair. Because if you've been working for two, three years to get recognition from EN publisher, and then this person comes along and catfishes you, that must mm. be absolutely devastating. Because you're spending all you know, you only have so many hours in the day. If you're a book blogger, that's almost certainly your hobby, not your profession. Yeah, and you've just wasted a potential client's worth of time on someone who's just trying to get you to read their book. That is not fair. That is really not fair. Um, because you know it's very at every level we keep saying this in publishing but at every level it's very hard Um, talking about opportunities short story challenge is a creative writing competition open to writers around the world Um, if um, you can find out more about it by googling the short story challenge and they want um the, the, you basically ha- they want more than 2,500 words this is a heat based competition so you've got to get your the final entry deadline is the 21st of January so get on with it um, and then there's a series of round robins so it's a it's a proper challenge rather than a, rather than just a submission competition it's a proper kind of you know you, you do a short story then you do another short story then you do another short story and the gaps get uh, narrower and narrower so you have to get faster and faster. Uh, oh, that's like the bleep test. Yeah, essentially. Um, God, I hate the bleep test. It's a peer for entry one. Um, so depending on how you feel about peer for entry ones. Um, so yeah, it looks it looks interesting. Um, and it's you know the the rewards look useful because it's level of feedback and access and the usual sort of thing. Um, let's see what the prizes are. What are the prizes? He said being all nebby. First prize is... Oh, goodness. Uh, first prize is... Um, an ebook publishing pa- package from BookBaby. Um, deluxe ebook cover design. Blah, blah, blah. So basically this is a... a, a this is a small press publisher that you you pay them they they nurture you they help you get your stuff out there um but they're looking for you to pay to enter how do we feel about these things <laughs> yeah um on the one hand <laughs> this is my considered response <laughs> on the one hand i can see why you would do it on the other hand i'd rather oh, it's a bit like pay to play when the musician union wasn't liking in the 1980s i i i'd rather walk than take a taxi Especially since it's going to take me just as long, a lot, the mm. same amount of time mm. to get there. Mm. Um, hmm. But yes, it's out there. Um, what else is going on? I think. Shall we talk about Cole Loganfield's novel way of storing books at the end of the show? We shall. Let's do that at the end because we're way over. Okay. Well, we've rambled on, and I've been keen to talk about this book for a while. Okay. can't teach an old god new tricks 
so the Silver Tide is by Jen Williams. It is the third book in what we're now calling the Copper Cat series. Okay. Um, it's the it's a trilogy, so apparently this is the last book in the series. I can kind of see where they're going with having read it. Um, so the Black Feather Free. The last time we met the Black Feather Free, they just come back from an adventure in the mountains. Um, they just prevented an insane magus who'd come back from, you know, basically come back from the dead from ending everything uh, by sucking all of the magic out of the world. And yes, um, they were kind of, you know, Widrin and Lord Frith were, had finally gotten it on and finally decided to be a couple. Yep pretty much uh, he has a mighty magical staff because he is a wizard (laughs) and uh, is that a euphemism I know he has a a mighty (laughs) magical staff Um, and um, she's an amazingly athletic and probably skilled um, uh, essentially uh, cutthroat vagabond style thing uh, thing person Um, and their friend Sebastian had had found you know maybe had found happiness um, but if you've read the other two books, you're kind of aware that Sebastian is the sort of person who has difficulty finding happiness. When the story starts, they're um, they're pretty much hanging out. Basically, they're kind of you know they're they're, they're, they're I think they're in Crosshaven, which is the the kind of your typical fantasy fantasy town full of pirates and nonsense and this sort of thing. They're just generally chilling out and they're in that hive of scum and villainy. And Sebastian is you know he needs to 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 motivate himself, shall we say? He's he's got himself back into another slump. And then Widrin, the copper cat herself. Her mum comes along. Now she doesn't just have like you know, a normal everyday mum who you know works in the call centre or that sort of thing. Who's cleaner? Widrin's mum is a pirate queen because of course she is. Uh, and she comes across and goes, "I got this brilliant plan. You know that island that everyone who goes to dies. I there's lots of treasure in the middle of it. I'm going to convince you it's a really good idea for you to go and explore. So off they do. Off they go and explore." Um, on a wacky adventure to an island which is definitely, definitely cursed. Most of the, <laughs> the, 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 the island of Eurelia is supposed to be the heart of magic as well, and potentially the heart of darkness itself. Uh, and off they go on yet another jolly adventure. They are a couple of. There's an interesting uh, B plot here. Um, the Dragon Ladies, who are established in the first book. Uh, the character of Femmel. Femmel falls in love with um, or one of the uh, one of the mountain princes, and the mountain prince has this special ability. Basically, they they love the cold. They 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 need the cold. They eat raw fish because they don't uh. particularly like fire, um, and their powers come from being cold. But if they go too close to warmth, they get visions. Oh. So and and. Um, uh, this chap and his and his dragon lady wife have decided to go on the most amazing adventure. They're going to find every library in the world and go there. And this is a fantasy world, so there's not that many libraries, but the ones that are there are definitely worth it. So they're on an adventure to explore all the world's libraries. Okay, that sounds kind of cool. It sounds kind of cool, but before they do that, and unfortunately, they've had a vision, and it's uh, Sebastian may be in danger. There's this stuff happening. They should, they should go and get involved. 
So there's that subplot going on. I love Ephemeral. She's great. She's a fantastic character. She has been from the start. Works really well in this story. Um, so what's it about? Well, essentially, we this is this is pretty much, and it does say so on the back, but this does look like it's going to be the final story for the Black Feather 3. Three characters, their dynamic has always been, Widrin is the very hard-as-nails, hyper-competent combat character, fighter person, uh, who's sarcastic, who's criminal, who has, you know, an eye for the easy options, uh, kind of ends up sighing quite deeply when she realises that she's going to have to fight that giant monster. Lord Frith has always been... You know, Lord, Lord Frith's magical ability is in search for power has always shifted and changed because magic itself is uh, a changing, a shifty thing in itself as well. And Sebastian has never found happiness, and that's the kind of thing that Sebastian needs. Sebastian's also essentially a walking tank. He's he's you know a par excellence knight who can wander onto a battlefield and just you know is a, he's a force multiplier if you know that term. You know, if you have him on your side in a battlefield, it's not—he's not just one man. He multiplies the effectiveness of everyone else around him because he's such a superb fighter. So they're a great team, and in in the previous books, they've taken on mad wizards, they've taken on gods, um, and you know, dragon shenanigans have have happened. But one of the things that's interesting about the first book is that all of the cool kind of backstory stuff has already happened a lot of the magical stuff has happened in past history the previous book was kind of the the the, the middle book of the series the iron ghost was kind of like a, a whistle stop to the geography of the world this one through various mechanisms is a whistle stop to the history of the world we learn much more about the the nature of how the the gods come to be, the cycle of magic that that runs this world that that makes the the land of Eid work exactly what the magic is and why it's there and you know how there's a how there's essentially a kind of a, a kind of a, a drawing of power from above and the drawing of power from below and how that all kind of melts together and there's the power in things and there's the power in people essentially and the power of the gods mm-hmm. um and slowly but surely what williams does in this final book is she pulls the the strings tight on the world to get a full vision as to the the scope of the world building and the reason you can do this is because the characters are brilliant (laughs) you know the character building is is kind of at this point she's got it worked out you know you know what these people are like you know how they're going to respond this is wonderful scene where and again it's not really a spoiler one of the characters gets captured and you just like I know what's going to happen next. I totally know what's going to happen next. I know how they're going to respond. I know what they're going to do. I know what these characters are expecting expecting them to do. That's totally not happening because it's this this character and this character when this person is in danger will always do this because you know this is the character development we've had. And lo and behold, it happens the way you expect, but it also happens in a way that's glorious. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I knew that was coming, but oh my goodness, that sounds painful. <laughs> and, and so on. So, yeah, it is essentially in the sense that, you know, sometimes, you know, when sometimes you really like a particular musical artist. Yes. And you know that the next album's going to be more of the same, and that's fine. Yes. Yeah. This oh, album okay. is more the same, but it's fine because, you know, the, the new songs that are new are really cool the extra catchy rhythms by which I mean the additional characters that we're introduced to are great fun um 
the the B plot is a little bit messy in places. Um, and there are bits that we rely on a level of coincidence, but we kind of have mystical forces kind of, you know, helping that out. We've got prophecy and magic to to, to kind of ease away the, oh, that's a bit of a coincidence sort of situation, to be honest, because, you know, it's magic and that's how it works. Uh, the Silver Tide itself uh, of the book is a force that runs through certain characters. And if you like the fact that there are big dragons in the first one there's great big dragons in this one <gasps> not only are there great big dragons but there's great big dragons of different types and colours and there's great big dragons of great big um, there's a really really you kind of <sighs> Chekhov's dragon I think is a good way of describing it <laughs> there's a Chekhov's dragon, dragon. <laughs> yeah and it, it literally is it's like you know in this act something is mentioned towards the end Chekhov's dragon is pulled and you're just like that's awesome I wasn't expecting that and again this is not a spoiler because you'll read the book and you'll go oh no I see what you're saying Uh, Um, is it any good? yes did I love it? yes I love the Copper Promise so much that I raved about it extensively you did Um, I was okay with the Iron Ghost I liked it but it didn't quite pull me as much I think partially because, you know, because maybe of the cruelty of one or two of the characters, and I didn't quite, you know, I think it didn't quite rock some of the character relationships as much as maybe I wanted to. But at this point, because I'm so comfortable with the characters and so comfortable with the writing and so comfortable with the style, I devoured it. This is apparently the end of this trilogy. I hope she stays in this world. I hope we find out more about this particular setting. On the other hand, if she decides to do something entirely different, I'm, you know, who am I kidding? I'm totally going to read the next one. Um, I have massively high hopes for Jen Williams. Um, these three books are extremely well done. You should read The Copper Promise if you haven't already. If you have, you should absolutely get your hands on The Iron Ghost and then treat yourself to The Silver Tide. It's well worth the journey. Um, they are big, fun- chunky books. Uh, if you drop them on the cat, you'd need a new cat. Um, probably. Probably. I, I don't know if some cats are quite good at getting out of the way. Yes. Um, and Hartley, the, the book bunny, would probably get out of the way very quickly as well. Um, we should talk about Hartley at some point. We should. But um, yes, should you read it? Yes. yes. Uh, Silver Tide. Uh, is it out now? Is it out very, very, very soon? By Jen Williams. It's uh, available on Headline. Uh, you can contact. Uh, Jen Williams herself at Senny Dreadful on the Twitters. I'm, I'm very much imagining this is going to be in, in your major and independent book retail. And it's out our trade paperback on the 25th of February. So, courtesy of those lovely people at Unbound, we had a conversation with Steve Islet, um, and that's coming up now. This is Fab Radio International. International. Stephen Islet, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you, thank you for having me. 
What can you tell us about Heart of the Original? Uh, well, it's basically about originality and about how people claim to want originality, but then when they're confronted with it, they kind of react in a with a sort of obscure discomfort or even sort of revulsion. It turns out they don't necessarily want originality after all. <laughs> uh, it's something to do with the fact that it's because it's something that they've never encountered before, because it's never existed before, if it's something genuinely original, they don't really have a place in their mind to sort of slot it into, if you see what I mean. They don't have a receptor for it. And, you know, the, the mind can adapt to make a slot for it because the mind can sort of have as many orifices as it wants basically but you know people are sort of busy and exhausted and you know don't necessarily want to make the sort of slight slight effort that's involved in making a space for the idea and so they just sort of like don't really let it in so is it commentary on publishing in general um to some extent yeah uh, but also just generally just sort of seeing the stuff that's out there. Um, I, you know, like I was saying, I kind of see things in terms of sort of shapes and patterns and things like that, and I just see the same shapes and patterns coming up constantly, um, and it would just be nice to have something new coming along. It does happen occasionally. But, I mean, I sort of really crave new ideas. It's sort of gold dust to me, you know? Um, but um, many people don't want that. And I can understand that. I mean, I also sort of like to, with certain authors, I like to just sort of read whatever they put out or just sort of reread their stuff because I like it so much. But I also like to sort of see new things. Why is this pattern so common? Um, God, I don't really know. It's so difficult. I mean, it, it, it can be sort of incremental, but um, I just don't know. I think it's sort of human nature to want the same things to be repeated, and it's human nature to sort of want comfort. And, uh, you know, it, it's understandable that sort of these days things sort of feel very abrasive generally, and I think people just like to sort of sink into something warm and um, recognisable and familiar. Um, it's it's a problem. I mean, if you're not sort of someone who is absolutely ravenous for, for new ideas, and I don't mean like new technology or sort of novelty for its own sake, but some things that are genuinely new, um, things that come in from a totally new angle. Uh, if you're not the sort of person that, that sort of is ravenous for that it's how do you make someone like that it's um it's a difficult one uh it means changing a person completely and i, I really don't know how that's done quite honestly i mean the, the book uh, it's most basic level it's sort of saying well you know think for yourself and if you're being a creative person sort of try and sort of raise your game a bit and don't just imitate the stuff that other people have done um but there's a sort of commercial impetus where people, you know, if some, uh, basically a lot of writers just sort of want to be the kind of writers that already exist. They want to write the kind of books that already exist and they, that's what they set out to do. They say, okay, this is what sells, so I'll do that. It's the same way that a great deal of, um, a lot of industries work that way. I mean, it's just like, well, this is what people are buying, so 
this is what will give them rather than coming up with something new. And uh, it's a shame. Have things like ebooks and services like Unbound changed the landscape of publishing? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's only really the platforms that, um, that have changed. I mean, it'd be nice if the writing changed too, but it's really only the platforms that have changed. I mean, I've been sort of like experimenting with different platforms over the last few years, you know, obviously with Kindle and that, like everyone, but also sort of, um, um, you know, crowdfunding kind of things. Like this this book was put out through Unbound and they have their own sort of crowdfunding platform that they're kind of based on. Um, and I'm doing a um, Patreon thing now. Uh, which I've just, I'm just sort of like getting off the ground at the moment. But um, no, it's it's still relevant as long as people are interested, um, and as long as uh, there's at least the appearance of something of sort of different things being put out. But it'd be nice if there was genuinely different things being put out. You know, there are very few writers that are actually original i mean i was thinking about it earlier on i mean one of the few writers who are even though he's been around for a long time is rudy rucker you know genuinely sort of still comes up with original things and he he's just amazing at creating these atmospheres of different dimensions i mean that's kind of his shtick but he does it in many different ways and he's he just comes up with this sort of startling stuff I just um, I don't know I'm still really impressed by him um, and it's amazing that he's still coming up with original stuff um, you know having been around for quite a long time now what stuff is currently out there that's getting you excited um, not much to be perfectly honest um, there's an Indian writer called Kazali Manikavel who writes short stories. Um, she's pretty good. There's a book called Springfield Road by Selina Gordon, which is actually sort of pretty straight, but um, I like it. I guess that's for personal reasons. It just overlaps with a lot of my own life. Um, but um, it's not really like in the sort of like startling original sort of area that I've been talking about. Um, I still like Rudy Rucker, as I've been saying. Um, oh, good Lord. I mean, there just, there just isn't much, quite honestly. It's, um, I mean, I've sort of started falling back on reading kind of like factual things, which I thought would, I never thought I'd be one of these people who just sort of like, oh, I don't read fiction anymore, you know. But I just sort of start, I mean, I started reading The Free Body Problem the other day, and it was just like, well, I'm several pages into this, and there haven't been any ideas yet, you know? Um, but what the fuck's going on? I mean, I'll, I'll tend to, you know, I'll, I'll sort of work with old forms. Like, you know, I've written books that are sort of like, the old, that sort of set in, you know, like my beer light books are set in, you know, like Slautomatic and overhead and things are sort of set in the kind of dystopian crime cities and things like that and how many books have there been written in dystopian crime cities you know but it's a that's just the vehicle for things but i hope, would hope that i've crammed a lot of ideas into that vehicle you know what i mean and the same thing with like lint it's like using the old idea of inventing a author 
you know, like uh, Vonnegut um, created his um, Kilgore Trout, you know, and Flann O'Brien came up with, uh, uh, what was his, I've forgotten his invented, um, his invented philosopher now that he came up with. But anyway, you know, it's a standard old routine uh, whereby you can, in fact, it's probably like the best vehicle for like getting rid of loads and loads of ideas per page. You can get rid of like dozens of ideas per page using that invented author idea because you're saying, okay, this author wrote a book in which this there was this idea and this and this and this and there was this reaction and this and then this happened to that author and so on. You can just get rid of loads of stuff. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's, uh, so, you know, the... the I'm fine with the vehicle with the housing of a thing being an old thing that's been done before but you know for God's sake put some original ideas into that you know and people just don't seem to be doing it so I'm just genuinely a bit disappointed <laughs> but I don't want to I, I would hope that in uh, part of the original I've also expressed enthusiasm for a few things um, um, what you mean, sort of like taking on some an invented fiction world that someone else had come up with? Well, I've actually done that once before, which was um, I wrote a book called Rebel at the End of Time, which was set in um, Michael Moorcock's and you know Dancers at the End of Time world. Um, we were going to call, vaguely talking about collaborating on something, and uh, we couldn't really sort of come up with a way of doing it, and. Um, I sort of said, and I sort of said to him, "Well, I've, I've been reading some of your my favourite stuff of yours recently, including the end of time stuff." And he said, "Oh, well, why don't you just write an end of time?" But, you know, so he gave me my permission to, he gave me his permission to do that, and that was great fun. And um, and uh, again, that was actually a, a really good setup in which to cram a load of stuff. You know what I mean? Because those are characters who can sort of more or less do anything. I mean, they've got those power rings and stuff, and then you say, oh, I want to create this environment, and then it just sort of manifests itself. And, it, you know, there's opportunity for loads and loads of colour and loads of different stuff to happen and loads of ideas to be expressed. So that was that was great fun, and there's a load of stuff in that. Let's say you're trapped on a desert island and you only have two books for company. One is yours, one is someone else's. What are they? Oh, good Lord. Well, it would probably be this new one of mine, Heart of the Original. And, um... I don't know, Voltaire's Condide, or maybe Lin Yu, which is a bit better than Condide. Yeah. Since or Futurama? Um... Futurama. Punk or pop? Um... 70s punk. Truth or beauty? Um, truth. Stephen Aylett, thank you for your time. All right, cheers. This is Fab Radio International. 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 Uh, we're coming to the end of the show at this point. I don't you've even had a chance to mention that, um... John Scalzi's substandard nemesis, Vox Day. 
um, has been kicked off Goodreads for being a naughty boy. We've also really not had time to talk about Nine Worlds at all, which has finally found a replacement venue in London. Very shockingly excited by that. I'm very excited by it. Very shockingly 32, com- 32 conference delegate rooms with a wrap around terrace in the middle of Hammersmith. And on the ex- tube! And an expo in the middle. And an expo in the middle. Sounds amazing. Yeah. We should definitely be there. Yeah. We're definitely going to be there, aren't yeah. we? Um, Hopefully. Have we got anything else to talk about? Or have we run out of show? We're pretty much run out of show. <laughs> well, um, it's the live archive up next. And if you're going with live archive, what's that you can find out about it is on fabradiointernational.com. Uh, but essentially, it's really cool music. It's really cool music. Because, you know, it's Fab Radio International and Brack the Alternative. <laughs> I've been your host, Ed Fortune. We'll be back momentarily. This is Fab Radio International. Across the world, the real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com. Just a quick reminder, we are changing the format of the show to Brave New Words. If you have any um, concerns or interests or suggestions, you should get in touch with us very soon. Uh, I've been your host, Ed Fortune. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune, produced by Anne Davis.